You're listening to the Cutbanks Conversation, a hunting, fishing, and conservation-based podcast here in beautiful British Columbia, proudly sponsored by Spruce City Wildlife Association. Well, clear skies. Clear, sunny, well, not clear. How about non-smoke-filled, you know, ashen skies? We actually have a relatively normal day, but it was like that yesterday, too. Our lungs are still smoke-filled, though. Yeah, yeah. It, uh... But uh, hopefully they start to get some things. I don't know the, how much headway they're making. Steve, what's the story from the fire center? <laughs> Are they actually making headway on any of these? Well, uh, Cutoff Creek is 12,000 hectares, so just a little one. But that's still, what, 70K south of Vanderhoof and 100K west of, of PG. So that's where the smoke's coming from. Yeah, so we've got Cutoff Creek beer by us. Um, Grizzly Lake. Grizzly Lake by us. And we, we talked about this in our last episode we actually recorded last night. Um, so I, I, it, one of the things that's interesting, you know, I'm leaving for the whole Jasper Banff Revelstoke loop. Um, and there's actually a number of fires even out by, you know, Sugar Bowl, Grizzly Den. There's lots of reported fires. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lots of, lots of small fires around. So hopefully the rain gets there. Hopefully the rain comes as rain and not in the mix uh, or in the midst of a big thunderstorm with, uh, you know, lightning and all that good stuff. So yeah, we do not need spicy rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No spicy rain. No. So, um, a cu- couple of things, the, uh, the woman that was, uh, that was killed, uh, from California, who was, uh, uh, I think taken from her tent yeah. uh, in uh, Montana, uh, looks like wildlife officials there have actually, uh, killed the grizzly bear, the her, and, uh, have a DNA match. So they did get the, uh, the bear. Yeah, what a terrible situation. Terrible situation, yeah. That's so tough, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that it's those kinds of discussions that, you know, shift the lens back on, you know, the the fact that as much as we want them on the landscape, you have to have a management plan for them. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And a proactive management, not a reactive management. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, and that doesn't mean that if you were, you know, hunting grizzly bears in Montana, that that would have fixed that problem. But um, not having a plan and just assuming that you can just leave animals to be animals. If you, I mean, I guess you can do that if you're willing to accept that there's going to be human casualties from time well, to time. Well, all we have to do is look at uh, Stanley Park. They yeah. literally, last night, closed half the park down because a two-year-old was attacked by a coyote. Yeah. Like, that's, that, that's not right. Yeah. And people can say that we're encroaching on their habitat, and in a way, that's true. But these animals have become so habituated to humans in an area that isn't hunted or trapped and they're not hazed. They they don't care. They're coming up, and they're these people that keep saying, "Well, th- there's no attacks." Well, guess what? Yeah, there is, and it's yeah. affected a two year old now. Yeah. yeah. So, what, what are we doing? Yeah, it's some reactive management. Yeah. And now they've closed down half the park, and uh, the wording they've used is that they're attempting to deal with the situation. And us as hunters and conservationists and people that know how to manage wildlife know what that means. Right? Yeah. They're going in there to, to to kill them, and you should see the pushback. Well, we're in their we're in their territory. We're in their habitat. Let them be here. Well, that's all fine and dandy if you're going to move way far away and never live on the landscape, right? If you're going to fly up into a cloud and well, guess what? You're taking bird habitat up there, right? You, you're having an impact on the landscape, and people need to need to realize that. Yeah, right? they got to reconcile the fact that um, you know when when people when, when there's a when there's cohabitation where we co-mingle, right? Mm-hmm. And whether and that even that's recreationally where if we're going if I go out um, you know hunting black bears, um, there's a good chance when and, and you and I do it every year. Mm-hmm. We're in grizzly bear 
territory. There's going to be you know elk and sheep hunters coming up right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be in grizzly bears' backyard. If you don't go out there and accept that there's some risk, I mean, I, I would suggest that you've got some blinders on. For sure. But similarly, um, in an urban setting, you have to start to look at there are some realities that come with um, you know that 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 cohabitation on mm-hmm. the same chunk of dirt, and you can't you can't be outraged and call for action. You know, because you've got coyotes and bears, et cetera, that need to be managed mm-hmm. and sometimes might need to be euthanized uh, as a consequence because relocation is not always a solution. In, in many cases, in, in certain in, in certain predator, uh, predator populations, it actually doesn't work, right? Oh, we were talking about uh, the bear relocations with the CO service. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how far they take them away. They'll come walking right back. Yeah, they, they come right back. So, I mean, you have to accept that there's got to be some level of consequence, which will... Im- which will bring with it a level of casualty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you need to be. I, I I just think. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's playing out in an urban landscape because I think for those of us that you know live in the interior in northern parts of British Columbia, the Kootenays, etc. Um, we we have animals in and around our our not our wild spaces, our domestic spaces mm-hmm. all the time. So we've had to live. This is our reality. Yeah, that's right. You know, when we go out, if you put yourself in the middle of, if I put myself out in the middle of um, you know, a, a grizzly bears area. And I'm, you know, I'm, if something happens to me, I, not, not, not that it's right, but I, I accept, I should be prepared to accept the risk. Right. For sure. But on the other side of that, um, it doesn't exclude the province from not having, like you said, mm-hmm. a proactive management plan across the land base. Right. Um, and that, in, that would include where, where you've got people, there's some hazing or, um, yeah. if, we're, if we're seeing that with our forests right now is they're burning up. We're yep. reacting instead of proacting. Proactively, yeah, managing our forests. That's so, a whole other yeah. conversation. Different conversation, which we will cover in an upcoming episode. Uh, so, speaking of uh, sheep and goat hunters, um, it looks like uh, we're just a we're just a handful of weeks, and there's some going to mm-hmm. be people that are going to be heading out, jumping on planes, throwing on packs, heading up into those rocky slopes. <laughs> yeah. Suffering and misery, I tears know. will be shed, blisters will be formed. And that's right? just on the road trip up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's just Steve. <laughs> yep. I'm excited to see that. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get a chance to have a campfire conversation with some of our friends and hear about Steve's uh, first sheep expedition here later on uh, mm-hmm. this fall. So, um, Steve, who do we got uh, on the episode today? We got uh, a couple of guys from, uh, well, one for sure from uh, Swarovski. Awesome, Swarovski Optics. So this is—they're coming to us from the home office, are they? Home office out of Boston, Massachusetts. Another so another Boston call. It's, it's, you'll be able to tell by the accent. Oh, that's awesome. So Your we phone did. bill is going to be crazy. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> we, so we had we had Sasha Clark Danilchuk out of Amherst, and yep. now we're uh, talking to people in Boston. Boston. Are, are these Southie guys? Uh, I don't know. They uh, talk funny. All right. <laughs> I think they'll think we that we talk funny. Okay. Well, super good. Future. All right. We're going to take a quick pause and uh, say some nice words about our good friend that you should remember when you're looking for, uh, well, some of those Swarovski optics yeah. at Precision <laughs> Optics in Cornell. We'll be right back in Cut Banks Conversation. Hey, you want a hot tip on how to get yourself dialed in this hunting season so you're ready when that big old bull or that beautiful broom ram steps into view? Can you picture it? I sure can. Maybe you just want to be like me and hit the range and ring some steel at a few hundred yards. I don't care what your reasons are, but here's my hot tip. You ready? You listening? You got to get yourself set up with one of Precision Optics' complete range and hunt-ready packages. Omer's done all kinds of work on these things. All the rifle and scope packages that he's got have been professionally zeroed, ballistically calibrated, optimized, and range tested for precise accuracy. I don't even know what the heck that means, but it sure sounds impressive. And who has done all of that work? Omer. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. This guy shoots. 
every single week this guy's out there shooting. So the guns that he's selling you, the guns, the optics, he is field testing them, putting them in these dial packages, the chronograph, range tested out to 540 yards. These rifle packages are designed to fit your shooting and hunting applications and are built around your personal budget and your input and your needs. This guy absolutely knows what he's doing. And, and I'll tell you, he's got a few on the shelf right now. Maybe it's the Seiko Hunter and six and a half Creedmoor. You know Creedmoor, the one you can shoot the moon with, with a Burris Signature 5x25x50. Or maybe it's a Fierce TI Edge and seven Rem Mag with a Zeiss Conquest uh, 4x16x44. I don't know. Like, there's scopes all over the place. There's rifles all over the place. No budget, too big. No budget, too small. The guy can find a solution for anybody. If you want to shoot and you want to hunt or you just want to hit to the range, this is the guy that you need to see. Precision Optics is the place you need to go. There are plenty of ready-built, dialed-in packages available right now. Or give Omer a call and you can build out your own. Get dialed in at Precision Optics online on the interweb at precisionoptics.net or see them in person inside Aroma Foods in beautiful, sunny, not quite downtown, Quinnell, British Columbia. Tell them Don sent you. Cheers. So, um... It's your birthday in a couple of weeks, eh? Yeah, August 2nd. Yeah. yeah. And what, what do you get the guy that literally has everything? I don't know. Ben, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, hello. How's it going? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> is, that, is that Ben O'Brien? Yeah, who am I talking to? You're talking, it, just... it's, it's Don Willemite. Get the hell out of here, Ben O'Brien? <laughs> Happy yeah, birthday, nah, my friend. <laughs> Holy sheep dip. Mother of God. Yep, I, Buddy, you got me slack shot. I, I heard you had a little joke where you were trying to get me to uh, call in, so I figured I, I would uh, oblige you. Mother of God. Ben, you have, oh my God. After we dissed you in, in true Matt Damon, Jimmy Kimmel fashion for like four episodes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I was I don't pretty appreciate that. I was I don't appreciate that. I, I was pretty proud of myself. I was pretty proud of myself for that one, man. Holy cow! How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Well, you just you just made my year. So <laughs> straight up, straight up. Well, that you, can't be. <laughs> ben, I got to tell you, the po- yeah. we do a we do a a middle to a terrible job of a podcast, <laughs> and I am so disappointed. My Tuesdays are ruined for the rest of my life. I I drive sullen every every Tuesday. I weep. I weep buckets of tears for the loss of THC. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you would imagine a lot of people are yeah a lot of people are saying that. Saying that's me. It's quite a topic of my life. <laughs> It's a thing that's missed. I miss it too, man. I miss it too. So one of these days I'll get back at it. One of these days. So, so for you, um, how are? I, I guess it's not business as usual. It's it's a new business for you now, correct? Yeah, I mean it's similar to, to usual. I mean my my daily. Uh, you, you guys probably well know when you do a podcast or any creative endeavor that requires a weekly investment, you kind of never off the hook, right? You're you're always working on the next thing. So. It's, kind of a consistent it's like if you were painting a painting and you just did one brush stroke a week forever you almost it feels like you're never done so when when you're not doing it anymore then you're kind of left hanging creatively but beyond beyond that kind of void yeah i'm working across everything meat eater hunting which is is a dream job for me and most other people that love love to go hunting so i get to work with the likes of clay newcomb and mark kenyon and yana patelis and ryan callahan Every single day, so no complaints there. 
Well, I, I would I, I would expect that there's no there's no reason not to love going to work every day. But uh, so just okay, let's just let's let's hit the like. I'm all prepared for an interview with Swarovski Optics. Oh so, yeah, <laughs> we, we got him good, Ben. Hold the rug. He got you, dude. He got you good. Well, and, got you good. so and, and just to, just to set the stage here, so we're recording at the Barebone Studio, which is actually in the dealership that I run. Um, so you know, it's a, we don't record in the daytime, certainly not during work. And Steve's like, oh, no, I can only get these guys, and it's got to be Thursday, and it's got to be at noon. And I was like, all right, I guess. And so I, I frantically put together a, a bunch of research on Swarovski. I'm reading their story. And so Ben's not going to be able to answer any of those great questions. So but fuck that's, that's fuck why that I little question sheet. We're going to switch it up. I've been imagining this phone call for, uh, for a long time in some way, shape, or form. So uh, anyway, uh, Ben O'Brien, uh, host of The Hunting Collective, and as anybody that listens to the Cutbanks conversation knows, uh, although I started on Meat Eater, I, uh, I really uh, fell uh, head, head, in, head first and, and headlong into a, a weekly digest of THC. And it's uh, the reason that we have this podcast is really from your efforts, Ben. This this podcast is actually born out of our inspiration from this, the kinds of dialogue that you facilitated. Not that they were, they were just, the conversations that you were offering up uh, in the format on THC were, were just, they were they resonated more with the, the ones that we liked. Not that we didn't listen to Meat Eater every week, but um, we crafted a, a BC version of, of that kind of, not just storytelling, but exploration and uh, inspired by you. So, you know, it's you, it's, you're the reason that we're here and I, I'm even doing this thing. So uh, many, many thanks. I've always wanted to get, to get that out to you in person, uh, not just through emails to the inbox at uh, THC at the, the mediator.com. But uh, anyway, I wanted to get that on the record. So let's get that straight. So everybody knows Ben O'Brien, THC. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> He's on the podcast. Ratings are going up, so. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Don. Listen, man, I have the same feelings that you do about some of my, you know, people have inspired me to do what I do, so I get, I, I get the feeling. Somebody, what they say and how they process the world resonates with you. It, it kind of helps you along, and, and I have, you know, folks like, Joe Rogan and Steve Brunell and many others to thank for my where I'm at. So I, I definitely understand the dynamic, but appreciate the kind words, man. So can, can we let, let, let's let's pretend this is a real podcast now. So um, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get it. let's get Ben's story. Um, so tell me a little bit about life before Meat Eater. Uh, I, there's a lot of evolutions and iterations in your life. Let's talk a little bit about your 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 career professionally, academically. Um, you know, a little bit. Of, I know you're from the you're from East Coast. Are you from Maryland? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, yeah. so from Maryland, tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, how all roads le- led to the Rome that is now the media empire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is an empire. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean it's a long story, but uh, I would say I remember. Man, I wish I could remember this guy's name. There was a uh, a guy in Canada when I was a little kid, maybe seven, eight, nine years old. There was a uh, outdoor writer school, and it was held by a guy in Canada. I wish I could remember his name. But I remember that was the first time that I really thought, you know, I always hunted. I started hunting, started going out in the woods with my dad at a very young age, but then started really hunting seriously 11, 12 years old. But even prior to that, I knew I wanted to be some sort of communicator, like a writer, was oh, it was always the thing that I wanted to be. Um, I remember writing this 
very poetic, uh, probably overly poetic little uh, article for at page eight for this uh, Alta Writer School that was in Canada. And the guy wrote me back. He said, <laughs> he said very nicely, uh, son, not very good. <laughs> You're thinking too much. <laughs> You're thinking too much. Uh, from what I can remember of, of the note that he wrote me back was like, you're, you're, you know, don't do, don't think too much about it. The outdoors is absolutely, uh, doesn't need to be overstated or some, some form of response. Like that. <laughs> that's something to hold on to for the future, right? It's plenty there. It doesn't, you don't need to write, overwrite the story. There's plenty of story to, to, to hang on to. So that was the first, my first inkling that I was going to do this, but I certainly growing up as an East Coast kid, Never, once I got into my high school years, my college years, I was always uh, going to be a sports journalist. That was going to be my profession, you know, ESPN, uh, Baltimore Sun, you know, as a Marylander, it was Orioles, Ravens. And um, I pursued that for some time and, and kind of very quickly made it into a role where I was covering the Ravens and Orioles from the dugout. I was writing, you know, nightly articles about the games and kind of doing the beat reporter life at a at the age of 21, and um, it was not what I thought it could be. It was pretty. It was. It was a bummer. Uh, it was a letdown. It sucked. It sucked really bad. So just, just okay. So you grew up as a sports fan. Um, so sports yeah, fan, and, and and invested in all of the Baltimore franchises. So it was. I mean, it's a natural play for you to get there. So when you say it sucked, is it just? It you didn't find it. Um, it, fulfilling from the the journalistic side of it, or is it just like you know, it's like a hurry up and wait program, or is it just you know some things look really good yeah. from a distance and not so good up close? Yeah, that that last one is probably the more true uh, version of it. But no, and basically, uh, the athletes get uh, all the praise, they get all the experiences, and you kind of as a as a sports journalist get all all the downsides of professional sports. And really, none of the upsides. <laughs> you know, you, uh, <laughs> you you get the long nights, the weekends, just the crazy hours, the grind. Um, but you don't really, I mean, obviously, it's not a high thing. You're not in there to get rich. Um, quite often, your love of the game gets sucked into that grind that I mentioned. So it wasn't, I pretty quickly realized as I looked around the press box, there was a lot of unhappy people. Um, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't manage the, my love of sports with kind of the uh, the lack of love and passion that I saw in the press box from some veteran outdoor writers that I got to, to be around. So it just seemed like a bit of a soul-sucking endeavor where <laughs> you kind of wrote about – you wrote about the, about rich, famous baseball players but never got to experience any of the things that you, you watched them experience. Is there a hostile relationship, um, just 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 out of curiosity, in that kind of journalism and in that in that forum? I mean, are, are they do they welcome do they welcome uh, the, the, the the I guess the the investigation and the questions and the query and the, yeah. do, do they do they like it or they're like oh, Jesus? I just okay, I'll give you I'll give you an answer. Yeah. Is so is that part of it? Like they're they're not wrapping their arms around. Oh, great, Ben's here. Let's let's talk for twenty minutes and tell a great story. Yeah, just imagine a 22-year-old Ben O'Brien walking around <laughs> trying to get interviews from, you know, 30-year-old men who are worth millions of dollars mm -hmm. and everybody was right? There was a the, – the story I can tell where I realized this wasn't for me 
was uh, in the Orioles dugout specifically, you stand, the reporters stand in like a taped uh, rectangle. You have to stand inside this tape, and there are kind of like a lot of times where you can sidle over to a player's locker, stick a you know recorder in their face, and, and see if they'll give you the time of day. Um, and you're basically on assignment, so you have to interview certain people for a story. And so you kind of either develop relationships with these people or you become, um, you know, you're, you're part of their life, part of their job, but you become a bit of an annoyance. Uh, most of those guys aren't there to give interviews. They're there to hit balls. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I just, you felt undervalued, you felt devalued, you felt less than. Um, and when I was able to, I met uh, a gentleman named Pete Angle at a bar in my hometown. Him and I are both in Hagerstown, Maryland. And he started he at the time worked for NRA's American Hunter magazine and he started showing me pictures of his trips out west and one of his trips to Africa. And as like a twenty two year old guy I said, I didn't know that there was a was jobs where people got went hunting and got paid to write about. It. Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, at that like at that moment I was a little bit pissed off at my guidance counselor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> come on, did, nobody told me you could do this? And um, he said, hey, man, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the NRA, and I'm going to work. I believe he was going to look at Under Armour at the time. And he started explaining to me this job, and maybe I should apply for his job. Um, and so I immediately did, and I immediately got denied <laughs> right away. <laughs> not, enough, not enough experience, but I kept at it. Um, they eventually had another job opening as a, a digital editor, an American hunter. I kept calling and emailing. And, I mean, to me, this was the way into the dream and so it took me about a year i think um because i'd gone to work at the washington post doing sports coverage in the, in the interim but it took me about a year to kick that door in and uh, i finally kicked it in and so that's that's how it all started as a digital editor for american hunter magazine over there at fairfax virginia for the nra so had you known that was an option or your guidance counselor was better at their job um, would you have, would yeah. you have out of the gate, like, did you, so when you went to, you were in, in a journalism program in university? I was, yep. Yep. I was in a journalism program at a small college called Hood College, close to my hometown in Frederick. Um, at the time I had a high paying job at UPS, uh, United, uh, parcel service yeah, yeah. Flipping boxes, mm-hmm. uh, as a supervisor, you know? And so I could have went that route and probably made some good money and been a union, been a teamster and been, it would have been great. Um, but I didn't want to do that. So I started, um, pretty aggressively hitting, hitting boots on the pavement. And I didn't, I mean, you know, being a writer for a hunting magazine is not so different. The only big difference between that and obviously writing for a sports magazine or outlet is that at some level you get to experience, uh, write about your own experience, right? You know, sports, you're writing about someone else's experiences, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to kind of impart to the audience what it might be like. Uh, or what it might feel like to be Cal Ripken Jr. or someone on that grand stage. So it, 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 it immediately struck me. Maybe it was selfish or personally aggrandizing of me, but I'm like, man, it would be great to write about what I'm doing as opposed to what someone else. <laughs> well, well I, I've always, I don't know how, intri- because in, in, in sports journalism, you're, you're, you're forced into kind of, there's a voyeurism that goes with it. But I mean, sure. it also requires you, I mean, if it's really going to get, if you want some real meat on the bone in a, in a new, in a news story in sports, it's usually when you're critical 
you know, it's not lauding them with compliments, you know, it's dealing with their shortcomings, right? And then whatever fan fan components are baked into your DNA, probably over time, it's like, you know, I, I do probably better um, if I, I need to push around the edges of this a little bit to make this interesting because I just can't stand here and say, yeah, they, you know, they hit the shit out of the ball mm-hmm. and they, you know, they ran a bunch of yards and they're great people. I, I don't need to do that. That's not interesting writing. And I think it would be, I would find that very numbing over time. Uh, so I could see how somebody could get into the, uh, the, the, I hate my job camp, um, unless they're wired that way. So there, there's gotta be a lot of appeal, not just to write about yourself, but was when, when you looked at making that transition, I, I mean, in your heart of hearts, I'm sure that the NRA and American Hunter, was that, was that something that was in your worldview? Like I'd li- or was it another magazine? And had you ever considered that? Had you ever framed in your, in your little dreamscape in your mind uh, once you started to kind of think about outdoor journalism? Was there another magazine that you thought, if I could get to that, then, I, then I'll know I really arrived? I don't know that I had that in the full spectrum in my head. You know, I don't know that I went into it like, well, this is my starting point and, and I'm going to have, I'm going to climb the ladder as it were. Right. I don't know that I, got, I went into it that way, but I, I quickly realized I needed to. Uh, it wasn't the first time they said, <laughs> the first time they said, Hey Ben, would you like to go to Wyoming on an antelope hunt? I'm like, well, how much is it? They're like, well, no, it's your job. I'm like, well, do I pay you? Or? They're like, no, we pay you. <laughs> like, no. Well, that's Sold, a- I'll do it. Um, yeah. And so I had to get wrap my head around that first. Wrap my head around kind of what the hunting media industry was, kind of how it related to manufacturing and how the whole thing worked. And it didn't take me long to fall, you know, fall headlong in love with kind of the whole process. And so as soon as I had that in my mind, that this is a place that I want to stay forever, this is a community I want to belong to for as long as they'll have me, and then you start to explore you know, what is the next step? What are the things, you know, what's the, what's the slate of options for somebody like me? And, you know, where could I go? And so, yeah, after that, it was, I quickly uh, came to admire back then. They, I want to say back then, it wasn't that long ago, but back then there was North American hunting club was a big magazine that since gone away. And Peterson's hunting was the one that I came to admire and want to be part of. And um, was kind of like the ultimate for me once I really understood what the industry was. So to, in terms of um, what's the cadence that you're delivering articles and how do you, so now, now you're in the machinery, how do you get noticed? And what are the things that you think, what, what did you have to cultivate in terms of skill? Is it, is it, does it come down to your writing, story selection, people you know? Um, is there a lot of, you know, are you, are you spending a lot of time glad handing and calling people and expanding your network or is it just going to be based on the merits of the, the stories that you tell and the pictures that you take? Yeah. And I think at that, that level of your career, you're just running for, you know, as I was 24, 25 years old, you know, I got to go to Vegas for the first time, be a part of something called shot show, right? You know, walk around there wide eyed and, and bushy tailed and really immerse yourself in, in every opportunity. Um, so that, I think that's how looking back on that time, it was that, but I also didn't really know what I didn't know. I didn't know that, you know, there were certain, certain types of dogmas and kind of the way the hunting industry worked. And so I tend to, I always tend to, but I, even back then I very much, um, just kind of pushed boundaries and wanted to do different things and wanted to, you know, find ways to connect with different people, people that fall like me, people that were 
not as old school as some of the folks I ran into at the NRA. Not that that was bad, but at the NRA, it was very structured. Like you do this, you get this, you do this, you get this. If you stay here long enough, you might be an editor in chief. And long enough means 10, 15, 20, 25 years. You might get there, but you really have to uh, commit to this. And so that, that became, that became uh, frustrating to me almost immediately. (laughs) uh, I was never good with, I was never good with like getting along with the principals and stuff in school. (laughs) And uh, I'm not good with authority, especially when it seems kind of like an orthodoxy in some way. So for for me, it was like, this is a great place, but it's only going to be a jumping off point. And so pretty quickly I was chasing after uh, and vice versa, the the editor of uh, Peterson Sunny, Mike Scobie met him on a turkey hunt and we had fun. And, uh, Next thing I knew, I was working for Peterson Sonic. It's kind of a weird, you know, you just kind of meet somebody and they say, how about you come work over here and move to Illinois? I said, sure, sounds good. So it was, it was you know, that quick. Off I went. When you were, so you, you talked about making a decent living at UPS. What, what, when you were working in, in, in sports journalism in the migration, can, can, can you make a reasonable living being a, a journalist in the, in the hunting world? Uh, you know, reasonable is a good way to put it. I mean, I, you know, there's different versions of everything. Right? Everything exists on the spectrum, and that definitely exists on the spectrum. I never, coming into it, you know, I didn't go to journalism school for to get rich. Right, um, right. I kind of, as a creative person, which I would, I would put myself in, I'm the happiest when I'm creating something. As a creative person, I never considered whether or not I would be able to really, you know, monetarily uh, benefit from being in the hunting industry. So I guess I would answer that question by saying comparatively, probably not. I mean, you're, you know, if you're going into, if you're, if you want to get rich, you should probably go to business school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have an, if you want to have an interesting life and you want to, you know, have this, you know, kind of translate your passion in the outdoors into, you know, something real, um, hunting journalism is probably for you. <laughs> you might be living in apartments instead of mansions, but it is, man, I've had, and, and my colleagues and friends in the industry, we've had some real crazy adventures together and done some things that I know wouldn't have been uh, available to me had I not taken this career path. So it's a bit of a trade-off in that regard, but I'm pretty happy with the trade. Yeah, I would think so. The um, When you look at the writing that you did as a young, you know, 20-something. Um, was there an evolution in your writing? How long were you with Peterson's for? I was with Peterson's for about four years. Um, I, have, I tend to have this thing in my professional career where I last about three and a half to four years, and then I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pod, uh, podcast notwithstanding. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the podcast notwithstanding. But, um, yeah, and I was there about four years. I was able to – I look back on those days, and I certainly – you certainly see yourself kind of grasping for who you are. I think anybody in that creative endeavor often podcasts are the same. You listen to yourself from three years ago and you're like, that guy's an idiot. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's like, at some level, that, that's good. That's a good thing. If you listen to yourself three years ago, you're like, man, he's smarter than me. You're probably not doing it right. <laughs> you should be moving forward. You should be moving forward. I, I've always been curious as a, from a writing standpoint. I mean, I, I feel it a little bit as, as we've crafted this podcast because you have – 
you, there's benchmarks. The, you know, my way into this was, you know, through you guys and, and the meat eater. And so I have, that's, that's yeah. the thing that I sound off against, right? How do, how does our conversation sound? What's the cadence like? Am I, you know, re-asking good questions? There's a lot of that stuff. But when you're writing, um, was there, were, were there people that were writing that you're like, man, I wish I could tell, tell the story. Like were the people that were inside the industry, whether it was at Peterson's or somebody else that you really, you, you hope that you could emulate. And did you think that is, is there journalism? Is there, um, is there a, a tendency for just reporting it as it is? I mean, some, my, some of my problems with hunting magazines is that I, the story sounds exactly the same way. You know, we're talking about the same sunrise. It's the same cascade of adjectives and, and, and descriptors. And I, I just find it's like the same story over and over and over again. And every once in a while, you find people that write differently. Um, was that part of what compelled you or were you just, just drinking and here's the experience and, and, the, and, and the craft of, of, of how you write wasn't necessarily part of what you were, you were consumed with or concerned about? Yeah, no, I mean, writing is, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, that's, that's a, a really fair and probably very accurate criticism of probably all uh, creative endeavors, but definitely outdoor writing and hunting writing specifically, you know, because part of the thing that was always frustrating to me and it was frustrating to me pretty quickly was that it felt like you know, there was no room to explore sometimes what kind of write, things we could write about or what kind of things we could put on the cover. It was, well, is it a big elk? Uh, well, that'll get a sell through on the newsstand. Yeah. But I always pushed, pushed and pushed and pushed and wanted to push and even sometimes didn't realize how different the thing I was doing really was to what had been there, what had been the tradition, what had been there for, you know, in some cases for Peterson since the 60s and the NRA, you know, a little bit later than that. But so I was maybe sometimes not even knowing that pushing those limits, pushing those traditions. And for example, when I was at Peterson's, we did a cover um, with Joe Rogan where he had a, uh, we were actually in British Columbia and we did uh, an art. I did, I wrote a cover article and Sam Soho took the photo of uh, Joe Rogan just big old uh moose quarter on the shoulder and it said eat what you kill that, that and was it was our, that was at our buddy mike hawkridge's place yeah it was mike hawkridge yeah. quinnell yeah 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 yeah, mike. yeah well, we were in quinnell with mike and it was man what a great uh, that's one of my favorite experiences in fact mm-hmm. like right by side my front door hangs that moose that i shot on that hunt <laughs> but mm-hmm. um that experience itself right to, to, to go to push i had to push to get someone to understand like why would joe rogan the fear factor guy need to be on the cover of a magazine <laughs> why would we not put a gripping grin of him and a giant moose why would we not i mean there's all these questions that kind of come up and those questions come up because people are used to it a certain way right? mm-hmm. um they stop becoming you know you you stop being a scientist you stop being somebody who tests things who has hypotheses and tests them right you're quite often in the media game you're reacting to the audience not the other way around and that's a delicate balance surely but i always just wanted to push the limits so that that cover uh i'm proud of that cover i think it was it, it was it successful yes it was very successful uh it got people talking i certainly felt it was just fine it got people talking um it was in the running for asme awards which is a prestigious magazine award uh ceremony that they have every year in new york i mean so yeah i think in my peer group i think it got people talking we also did one 
the year before, the mediator, funny now that I work at mediator, but the mediator edition of Peterson funny where it was just a knife with a backstrap on it. Right. Okay. A bloody yep. backstrap. Yeah. Yeah. And to us, that was just saying, you know, we had a lot of people write in and get angry and tell us that should have been a, a beautifully curated slice of meat on a plate. And the idea there was, hey, listen, let's push the boundaries of, of how we depict what we do. You know, let's push these boundaries and let's show sometimes that, you know, when you pull a backstrap off an animal, it's not pristine. Um, it's not, sometimes it gets dirt on it. Sometimes there's some hair on it. Sometimes there's some blood. When you're pitching these ideas, are, so are you doing the photography or you've got a photographer with you? And when are you pitching this story and say, listen, like I'm, I'm going to go do this thing on Mediator or Rogan. And just so you know, I'm coloring outside the lines. Like just I'm t- being straight up with you guys. I know you got a process. I, I need you to trust me. This is what I'm going to go do. Or is this more like, okay, I've cobbled together this story. And then you try to sell it once you've kind of got it sort of wrapped up. And you've you've got a, a, a somewhat finished product. Do you pitch the finished product, or were you pitching the idea up front? Yeah, I mean, I think you pitch the idea. And I was lucky to have a boss by the name of Mike Scobie, who really he's like me. You know, he really he redesigned Peterson uh, four or five years before my entrance into the brand. You know, and even that redesign was pushing it. You know, instead of a big elk on the cover, it was a guy packing out a big elk. Right. And that was pushing the limits. And when I come in, I think he, you know, he basically, when I first met him, we started talking about, like, who's the next big thing in hunting? Who are the writers that you should have? And I had just recently recruited Steve Rinella to, to write a little bit for the NRA. And uh, Mike Scobie had done the same. He was, had recruited him to write for Peterson's a little bit. And so, funny enough, we kind of connected over, you know, my vision of Steve as, somebody who can really contribute to what we did as a community and kind of maybe the next big thing. And um, that was, I think, where he he and I connected them, or being able to push those limits. So I was lucky enough to have an editor at the time that let me do crazy stuff like that. Um, is there any story that you wrote? Is it, were there, was, there, was there a hard no on anything that you wanted to do? Was there anything that, they, that you said, I'd like to tell the story this way? No, that's a good question. I mean, I think the first time I pitched it, you, you have to prove yourself, right? So when I pitched the idea um, of kind of the media revolution is how I pitched it. Like it included uh, a young lady named Georgia Pellegrini and included Steve Rinella, Andrew Zimmer. Um, it was kind of a profile of people that were looking at hunting in a different way, you know, and, you, and this has been probably seven or eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, so at that time, you know, calling something the media revolution was kind of, flying in the face of everything that a magazine like Peterson's was and, and kind of what sells, you know, what's interesting yep, in yep. the honey space. So I think I had to prove myself on that article. I, I, I don't know that anybody told me that. Anybody said, hey, we'll, we'll give this one shot at this. <laughs> you <screw it> <laughs> you got to go back to writing how, you got to go back to writing like, you know, how to read buck signs. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah. We've had around. we've had that conversation with TJ Schwanky. So the 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 bane of his existence mm-hmm. is how to articles, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the traditionally that's traditionally how we communicate in the hunting space. And when I got into it, they were like, "Well, you you write experiential essays and you write how to articles, and beyond that, you know, that's it. And you write gun reviews. Those are the three things. That's how we communicate as hunters. Yeah. Um, and man, I've been in it for twelve years now. Look how it's changed, man. I'm working on Bear Grease podcast with Clay Newcomb, and we're doing stories about three episode narratives about Daniel Boone. 
yeah. you know, or the human and dog relationship. So I've been able to see the way the hunting industry has kind of evolved with the digital age and, and um, got to where it is now. And it's, it's really, as much as sometimes you kind of keep pushing, you realize that, you know, we've come quite a ways. You know? do, do you accept um, the fact that you're, that you're part of that? That, if, that that Ben O'Brien has been part of of giving, of, of help helping shape that lens. You, you help grind that lens, you know, uh, out of you know, uh, just just from your own yeah, effort. Maybe. Yeah, you've you've helped sort of curate what it is that we have now. Um, it, it, do you do you fully accept that you've been part of the change? I mean, we, a lot of things get buttoned up under the media umbrella, but does Ben O'Brien understand what Ben O'Brien's con- contributions have been? You try not to. <laughs> yeah. you don't want to rest on anything they're just like whatever and also i was talking to uh another former listener of the show recently and we had to meet him in person for the first time and we were just chatting about it he said you know why are you always you're always hedging on the podcast I say well i don't know you know well, i'm not sure i'm an expert on this so like, you should stop doing that said, man listen the last thing the thing i will protect against forever as long as i'm alive especially in the creative work is, is hubris so you don't yeah. i don't know a lot you know, and so that's the last thing I'm gonna gonna come across with. So, you know, yeah, yes, you recognize that I've been around. I've seen a lot of change, and I'm very much that I'm proud of that I've done. But at the same time, man, there's a whole lot more to do, and um, I don't think I would have been able to take some of the risks I've taken in my career if if I was sitting around thinking about how good. <laughs> Damn, that was a good article. Man, <clears throat> drop the mic, baby. I'm out. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know, but at 19 years ago, I wrote this article on Joe Rogan. Yeah, Still stands. Never written yeah. an article since. It's, yeah. it's just like coasting. That, it's like that <laughs> yeah. four, high school, or four, yeah, like, four touchdowns in one high school game like, yeah. with Bundy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're Ted, yeah you're not Ted Bundy. You're Al Bundy. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're Al Bundy. So, from, um, yeah, so you don't want to rest on those lowers. There's so much more we can do. Man, it's endless. Uh, how far we can take where we are and um and it's not i don't want to sound derogatory about where we were because i was lucky to be at the nra i was lucky to be at peterson's i worked my ass off to get to those places but i mean i still feel like the people that blaze those trails before me you know i owe them and hopefully there's people that that will say that about me i think that would be the ultimate uh once i'm done with all this once i'm an old man if people said like you blaze a trail for me and somebody blaze a trail for you. I mean, that would be the ultimate compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, we, we all, I, I think opportunity finds all of us. It's whether we choose to see it or not. Right. And I think you've made some, obviously as you've evolved in your career, you recognize that there was an opportunity. You don't know what the outcome is. You just know that there's an opportunity to give voice for something or explore a part of yourself, right. Or push at something inside a, of the industry. It's just, you recognize that there's an opportunity do whether, do I want to do the work? Do I want to, do I want to take it? It's in front of me. The moment is now, um, you know, and, and some people let that, the, the woulda, coulda, shoulda stuff is, is sits behind all of us, but, um, you know, good for you for, for finding those moments. Um, we wouldn't be having this conversation yeah, if you yeah. didn't take some risk and get, and, and like you said, have some, have some people that would facilitate that. So you got itchy feet at Peterson's or did, uh, is, did you move to Yeti from there? Yeah. You know, funny enough, we did that, uh, Joe Rogan cover and I didn't get to see it published while I was employed at Peterson. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was, I okay. Was, just getting, I had just kind of like sat my butt down in the chair in Austin, Texas at Yeti, and um, somebody, you know, the editors mailed me this and said, hey, hey, look at this man. And uh, I was already gone, and I, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, what was I doing, man? 
<laughs> like, I was kind of at the precipice of the thing I had always, I had become so, you know, kind of ingrained in my life that I was going to be this hunting journalist and I was going to do it this way. And then, um, as I guess was my personality, I got a little bored. I thought, well, if I'm 26 and I'm already, I'm already doing cover magazine articles for Peterson. Like, what is this really going to give me in yeah. the next 20 years, 30 yeah. years? Where's it go from here? Yeah. And how much, you know, I'm not saying I peaked at that time, but I was like, where, where's this going to go? No, I um, think we can all agree you and, peaked at that time. So, I mean, good, good for you to get out. When you get it. <laughs> just, you, just yeah, kidding. you peak at 26. <laughs> Everybody peaks. Yeah. Yeah. So I peaked at 26 and I was looking for a way out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 uh, I didn't know much about like coolers or stainless steel cups. I didn't really know much about that at all. And in fact, uh, I was thinking that of marketing specifically as the enemy when right. I was in journalism, right? It's, right. It's, uh, that's overstating it a bit, but it's, it's kind of true. Um, and so you get into, you know, my life at that time, I was like, let's, let's take a chance. Um, I wanted, I always wanted to move to Texas. And, you know, when I first got talking to the recruiters at Yeti, I told him, I was like, listen, marketing's not my thing, but uh, I would love to hear, you know, what you guys have to say. And, and they very quickly told me that they wanted to tell stories, and that's what their marketing was all about. And so, yeah, it was, it, yeah, marketing was in the title, but like to say, um, they were, you know, going to be, they wanted to tell stories. They wanted to make films. They wanted to have their marketing of their coolers be more content-oriented and less. So was it the was it the Rogan story and then the media story that compelled them? I mean, or just the way that they saw that you were you know serving up a different way to look at things? Is that's what compelled them to reach out and grab you? I have no idea. <laughs> I, have, I have no, and I don't rightly remember how it went. I, I know I talked to a recruiter. I might have been connected with them through a third party that were looking for uh, some of the they were starting a new community marketing. Um, I don't really remember exactly how I got in touch with those folks or how they got in touch with me. I know that they were interested in me, um, and I wasn't really interested at, at that time in leaving. Um, and I remember talking to a very awesome uh, young lady named Ivy Ford, who, who was their recruiter, and we got to talk, and she was awesome. And she just said, come down and see us. I said, okay, I'll come down. I'm good. Um, so I went down there, and by the time – I got in the building and I saw what Yeti was at that time. I was begging them for a job. <laughs> just, just the peace of mind, the feeling. I interviewed with these two dudes who looked like crap brothers. And they were asking me, like, who's your favorite whitetail hunter? They said, who's your favorite whitetail hunter? I said, well, Bill Winky. And they said, yeah, me too. I said, what do you do usually with turkey breath? I said, oh, I usually smoke them or, you know, slice them. And I do this thing called turkey cordon blue. And they're like, oh, us too. This is awesome. And so... They left like the room, and I, yeah, they, they left the room, and I thought that was the weirdest interview ever. We just <laughs> talked about like hunting full time. Yeah, and um, they left, and the, the other guys came back in, and I said, "Who are those guys?" And they said, "Well, they're the founders of Yeti, uh, Roy and Ryan Peters." And I thought, "Oh, oh, I'm a bitch." You didn't get that. Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, yeah. what do you no, think? I, mean, I think I, I might have just. Yeah, no, I might have eventually from, like, the, the professional marketing people. But in terms of, like, those guys, they were just interested in, you know, let's talk about Bill Winky and this was like for 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, and so, yeah, that, that 
And when I look back at that time, my life, I look back and say, like, man, that's crazy. That was the craziest of all the things I've ever just tried to do. Um, and that's because I was wrestling. So, and I shouldn't have been wrestling. But I mean, it, it, it is what it is. As a guy that, if you if you read the automotive resume that I've had over almost thirty years, um, you know, it looks like I was pretty restless myself. So this is the longest I've sat in one place yeah. at one time. So I dig it. So what? Uh, Yeti sounds like. I mean, to me, it's like you found utopia. You got these cool ass owners of the company that are into hunting, and uh, you get all. There's lots of free swag. You've got lots of creative license. Um, there's a meter running because, uh, by your own words, in three to four years, this shit's going to get old. Um, you've already got Renella somewhere in, in your worldview. He's he's in in a distant orbit, but somewhere in your orbit. How connect the dots for us from Yeti to Meat Eater? Yeah, well, I had you know uh, Steve had at some level. I was never close to Steve, but professionally we worked together at Peterson's. He wrote, wrote a column called Fair Game for us while I was there as an editor, and then. You know, as soon as I got to to uh, Yeti, they said, "Well, who are who are some good ambassadors for our brand in the hunting space um, that we don't currently have?" And I said, "Well, Steve Renella, that's number one." Um, and so we pretty quickly snatched him up and signed him to an ambassador deal, and I was able to get to know Steve much better during those years. We hunted, uh, we did a couple of photo shoots and a couple of hunts together, and got to know each other a little bit more. Spent some actual time together. Um, you know, as I did with a lot of folks during that that time. And, um, you know, my admiration for him and, and what he was doing, I only just intensified to spend time with the guy. And uh, eventually he called me on the phone in Iowa. Uh, whitetails, and he called me on the phone, and normally, you know, you don't answer the phone while you're sitting in a tree stand. Yeah, typically um, not. Nope. But I did that. But I did that time. <laughs> <laughs> I answered answer he said hey i want to talk to you about this new company thing i'm doing i said okay well let me get out of this tree stand and so i went back in and he, he called me back and we talked about it he explained it and um you know it took quite a while for it to get going but i mean immediately i was in you know i was in because yep. it was as we talked about earlier you know you see kind of this traditional hunting media set and you don't really know i didn't really know what my future as a concentrator would be in that environment but here is like one of my heroes starting a thing that could kind of, in my opinion, reignite what hunting media really was and is and, and could could be, you know, generationally a defining piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And so was that I never com- let him know this, but I was, <laughs> I was pretty <laughs> you don't want to You don't want to put too much wind in his sails. Um, the, uh, no. But w- was this specifically to come and, and have your own podcast, or were you being brought on? Um, to, to help just develop content in general, or is it specifically to flesh out something yeah. like THC? Yeah, it was editorial director. It was, I think, the original. Like, we need we need somebody that can run our website. We need somebody that can hire editorial talent. We need somebody that can you know, set the direction for what the editorial work will be, which we did. I hired uh, a pile of really great editors. Most of them, almost all of them, are still employed at Mediator and, and was able to help set that. Um, I, I started, I had wanted to forever start a podcast i was introduced to it this sounds like a name drop but screw it uh <laughs> joe rogan oh <laughs> you know you hate to even say it this way but it's the truth uh when i was in british columbia on that moose hunt with mike joe rogan was, was telling me about his podcast and at that time you know it was big but it wasn't <laughs> anywhere near the stratosphere it's been now yeah and um he said you should start a podcast i'll help you out and at the time i was like well why don't you just do those in your basement? I mean, I work for a magazine, man. Yeah. Like a real magazine. I'm not going to go <laughs> start this podcast 
It was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like the dumbest thing. I should have said, yeah, Joe, let's start one tomorrow. <laughs> My life would probably be a whole lot different. Um, but he's the one who introduced it to me. And, and through the years, I always wanted to, and I, but I always had a job that I was focused on. And eventually I just got to a point where I was like, I can't not do this now. There's, I, I actually have something I want to say for, for once in my life. Um, and he was, was still, Joe still had encouraged me throughout that time. And, and, um, I did it and I did it with an eye that, Hey, maybe I do go work for Steve. Maybe I don't, but I'm doing it. anyway. I need to do this for my own sanity. And so I started doing it. And then all oh, about four or five months after I started, it got really serious. Conversation with media got really serious and they were completely cool with me bringing it over. Um, so I brought it over from kind of my own thing to a meteor thing. And, and I think, uh, it seemed additive. It seemed like they were excited to have it, uh, at the time and, you know, doing that and helping them build their editorial team was, was hectic, but it was fun, man. It was a good, it was can a good run. I, can I ask you just, just when, when you brought your podcast over, um, there's, there's an overlap in in the way that the 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 podcasts. Uh, I mean, there's lots of content, and I. But I, I almost. I don't mean this in a negative way. I'm not articulating this very well, but um, I almost felt like you guys were you guys were having similar conversations. Um, it, there's some nuance, but uh, you, you have two two podcasts that are saying similar things in some ways, having similar guests, um, and then you sort of at some point maybe you started to make a harder right turn and say listen i'm going to get into i'm going to start pushing into the space the prickly parts um was that by design um we did you start off like okay i'm going to have a i've got a, a unique conversation i want to keep it more personal more introspective because you you guys did sort of overlap on some of the issues and some of the guests initially and then did you just was it did you guys collaborate on where thc should go um, or was it always kind of your vision and you said, you know, I, I'm going to experiment and then I'm going to start going this way or did that, did that change in, in direction or the feel start after you started at Meat Eater? Yeah, I think that creatively you just, it was mostly, you know, almost all my, I mean, Steve was my boss, don't get me wrong. There's a, I had lots of bosses at Meat Eater, but it wasn't, I they never really pushed me creatively in one way or the other. Um, but you get to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm modeling myself after the two folks we've mentioned here. And at some point you kind of like, well, I got to do my own thing. I mean, I get away from this thing that I'm chasing this thing. I love, which is like meteor podcast, Joe Rogan experience. I got to get away from that and kind of do my own thing and find my own ways forward. So I think it was probably more naturally for me, just not wanting to be so derivative and, and wanting to just explore, you know, what I could do. Um, and, you know, part of that is you're at a company with a podcast network and that they all have to be complimentary at some level. But I, that early on, early on, it wasn't really a thing we talked about. It is now. But early on, it was kind of like, are people listening? <laughs> if they're listening, let's keep on going, you know. So just, just and I, I, I got to ask this for everybody that, that was as shocked as I was when it all ended. Was there an, was there an end date? And when you, st- when you started, did you know it was going to be, you know, three and a, three and a bit years? No, I would have done it forever. I still, like, I just, uh, no, never. There's never an end date. Um, there never could have been with a show like that. You don't really, can't really, um, put an end date on it. You know, you just can't do it. You have to, you have to be in completely creatively. 
Um, but there's one thing that I know for sure, being in the business that we're in, a lot of the things we've talked about um, within this conversation even, is, you know, adapt or die. Like you have, sometimes you get to a point where you have to make a decision. Um, and in this case, it wasn't all my decision, but it was prompted by folks I worked for. And they were like, can you do, can you do both? We want you to do this big job here. You know, you want, you want to kind of half-ass both jobs or fall into one. Um, we already have a bunch of really great podcasts, but we don't have anybody on, on our roster that can do this job the way we think you can do it. And so you take that compliment and you say, you know, sometimes you got to adapt or die. And this is, you know, media is a company I care about, and it was kind of adapt or die. So with the now your new role, um, you're facilitating content, dis- developing new programs, um, or you're largely around Bear Grease. What's the new role for Ben um, on yeah. the other side of THC? Yeah, the new role, it's not so different than my old role. So it's more intensive. Um, you know, all the forward-facing characters, the media that everybody knows is, are on a team that I run and our job is to you know, strategize content across hunting in every phase of the game and uh, create things. So, you know, I'm working with, as I said, working with uh, all of our guys uh, on their show, on our YouTube shows, on our podcasts, on a uh, myriad of website articles and how-to videos. And, um, been working very closely with, with Clay, as you mentioned, but also Mark Kenyon on the to hunt those guys um, I'm able to strategize and work on their behalf within our business and you know really be I think it's called I think it's director of hunting is my title which is silly as but, I rec- uh, yeah as I recall I think it is yeah <laughs> yeah beyond that beyond that silliness um, it's I'm incredibly lucky to work with those folks on a daily basis and be a sounding board when I need to um, when they need one and trying to help them with my experiences and, and kind of translate that content to, you know, the, the grind, you said the growing mother stuff. But you, but you miss not being a character? Uh, I, I, like, I don't really, I miss talking to people. When some big issue comes up in hunting, I'm definitely chomping at the bit. Right. <laughs> dig into it. Yep. Uh, yep. I'm over there going like, really? Wolves? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I call it, wait, I want to have a podcast. Um, no, I mean, the, the four-facing character thing is the thing that I never really desired to be yeah and i don't and i don't i don't mean it yeah i didn't mean it that way i actually meant is, is specifically like an issue understand. yeah an issue comes up and it's like yeah i i've got like about ten thousand things to say on this mm-hmm. and uh i don't have a so now my, <laughs> my question is do you, are you are you in there now are you in these story rooms going okay listen so i i, I don't i can't say it but one of you've got to we gotta <laughs> this has got to get said somehow some way are you are you directing traffic behind the scenes a little bit no okay no no not at all. Um, <laughs> I hope. I hope. I hope the guys that work for me would just say I'm supporting them and giving them, you know, what they need. But um, no, and I think that at the end of the day, yeah, man, I am. I'm always want to be in the mix. You know, it's always been my the way that I've kind of dealt with my life is to charge into weird and hard and possibly uh, you know treacherous scenarios and trying to solve it and suss it out. Um, like I said, I mean, I, I am, I was incredibly lucky to do that podcast for three years and, and I stumbled my way into something after it that I'm incredibly lucky to do right now. And, and so I will, and I'm always, I'm always ears and eyes open for the next thing well, that's going to challenge me. And, uh, three years is a long time to do a podcast. And uh, there were weeks where I just thought, well, I don't think this is good anymore. 
you know, I'm not sure how I shift and make this better. Um, and so unlike a lot of content creators, or some at least, I was never comfortable with doing the same thing yep. you know, every day or every week. So and that, there's a lot of content creators that create something and stick with it. And I, I, I've, I've wondered when, when you launched what is now the Hunt in Common, but when, you, when we started the, the whole THC, the idea of the THC chapters, and, you know, looking at your 501c designation and uh, can this become a real thing? And you fostered a community uh, of listeners that have now you've got all these proselytes that are going to go out and they want to sell the idea of recruiting new hunters and expanding hunting as a community. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that before we wrap up. I know you're on a, a time crunch. Sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I, I know how it was birthed and anybody that listened to the program kind of got that. Uh, did you imagine that you would uh, have this thing that you, did, did you ever imagine something like this? Uh, you being the author of it? No. Hell no. Uh, <laughs> you can probably tell. Somebody asked me this weekend, we did a thing at Doug Durant's farm where I got to meet some of the, some of the leaders of our group to hunt in common. And I think I have, have our first campfire together and talk about what we could maybe accomplish. And the fact that it's real still, like you kind of have to shake it off and get to the actual conversation. And it takes me a while sometimes to think like, where am I? What am I doing? How's these people all kind of converge on this Wisconsin farm? Um, but once you get past that, you, you know, you, there's a mission to be had. And when, when I realized how passionate so many people were about the idea of, and I think mentoring, that's what the group is going to, you know, kind of gather around, but that's only kind of a mechanism to connect with people. Yep. You know, it's really about connection. It's really about the modern hunting club and, and finding long-term and lasting connections to people that, you know, either share your values or can at least appreciate your values around hunting. So, you know, for me, that's, that's a way more personal, way more intimate way to move through content. I mean, I work in a, in a business where it's how many downloads and how many views and how many millions and how many this and that. And that, that's not a personal, personal way to connect with people. Yeah. And so for me, very selfishly, what I get out of the hunt in common or what I get out of, out of our podcast is a way to kind of look in someone's face and say, what do you get from this? What do you want? Um, what do you want? Not how do I get a, a thousand more of you? Um, and so our the way that we're going to mentor to the hunting town is going to be very personal. It's going to take a long time. It's not going to be like come to our field event for three days and we'll see you later. It's going to be we're going to line you up with a mentor and you're going to work with that mentor for six months to a year or more. Um, and I think that's, that's where I came to, you know, over some time. At first you don't realize what's even going on, but, um, I'd be a fool not to recognize the amount of people that really moved this. Yeah. There was a lot of momentum. There was a lot of momentum yeah, very, very I, quickly. And I mean, it, I know it, it perhaps it started as whimsy, but it didn't, it, that, that whimsy lasted a nanosecond and it became real. Uh, I mean, I remember even you, you guys kind of, you, you and Phil were kind of bantering about it a little bit and i know it's so off the cuff and then you know like the i remember phil babbling on about making cards and stuff and i'm and i'm and i, yeah. I said to my wife where we were driving and i was like well i i totally i look sign me up like where, where when do we when do we start one? Oh god did you did you ever yeah. did you ever see his video don's video that he sent about uh, being a chapter president no 
No. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, oh, I, I, you, you, you may or may not have. I'm sure oh, they've boy. banned me. At, at, oh, I yeah. sent too much shit your way, Ben. So I, too many emails, too many videos, too many try to pay attention I to me. Did. Yeah, I'm sure you. I'm sure I you probably did. I I will say this. Like, yeah, I, at some point when when you when you don't really know what elements are going on around you when you're speaking into a microphone. You don't really know. There's no way you can understand kind of the weight of your words. It's impossible. I tried to read as many emails as I could. Mm-hmm. I hate reading social media comments or being on social media, so I never really was good at that. Um, but I, I found the inbox to be at least a good gauge. But there's no, it's impossible to understand the impact of your words and your activities in that in that environment. You can't do it. Um, and so you try to get a good, try to do what you, know, you feel comfortable with and what you feel is best. And then you have to gauge your impact in the ways that you can. Certainly downloads are one way. Um, but you know, people that are willing to do things that you are surprised they're even willing to do, or you, you yourself, in my case, probably wouldn't do, um, for a podcast. And so I was, I really had to get off whatever kind of weird personal trip I was on and say, like, I got to focus on these people and they all want something here. They all need something here. They're willing to give time, money to this idea um, by in the thousands, not just 10, 15, 20 people, no. thousands of people 100%. are willing to take this to the next level. And I gotta, I'd be an idiot not to acknowledge that number one, but put my time as much time as I can into putting it together. So I, it, it is quickly, <laughs> quickly become, you know, something that I'm volunteering for. I'm not, I'm not going to take a dime from it probably ever. I would say definitely ever. Um, you know, volunteering my time and putting as much of my off time when I'm not doing my media work into it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, it's been incredibly rewarding over the last couple of months to see people willing to fly across the country to hang out with me and Doug Duran and, uh, and bring it all together. Bring it all together. Right. Cal. We've connected with uh, Dave Campbell and Dan Albert. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I've, I've joined yeah. the group and we've been talking, uh, just through messenger and not, not not that we have a gazillion listeners. We have some listeners. Um, you know, I like like to think that you know we've got lots of reach in in British Columbia, um, and we can connect to other provinces. So, it's our privilege to yeah. uh, to be you know members of the Hunt in Common and to help promote the message that you're promoting. And uh, we're going to do our, our best to do it, including having Dan and Dave on the podcast in a few weeks uh, to talk about uh, some Great. of your undertakings. But uh, Ben, I know you've been super gracious with giving me this terrific interview on Swarovski optics, and um, I, I've, I got it. I got it. Yeah, I got a Z6, man. It's great. I have learned a ton from this. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I just once again thank you so much for this surprise uh, interview, uh, for taking the time to spend some time with me. I know you've got a you know there's there's in the tens of thousands I'm sure fans of THC. Um, I am, you know, I will be forever grateful for however long we run this podcast that, that you, you, uh, gave me the inspiration to, to have these conversations, um, and, to, to, to spend the time doing it. Cause I think it's added a lot to the conversation on hunting, fishing and conservation in British Columbia. Um, I feel like we've contributed good content and, uh, that inspiration came largely and not, and I, I'm not underselling this largely from you and thanks for having the conversations that you did. For all of those episodes, um, I still find myself every week, I'm going back mm-hmm. through something. 
you know, I'll be back on Barry Gilbert next week when my brother and I are are headed towards uh, Jasper. So, uh, but uh, anyway, um, I'm I'm hoping to find myself uh, in Montana next year. Um, and uh, with your permission, uh, my wife and I'll stop around in Montana. And uh, you don't have to give yeah. me your address, but at least pick up the phone if I call. And uh, you, you, we we could have ourselves a bourbon. So. That is absolutely uh, something I will do, man. And you're, you know, I'm glad anymore. I just, my career, I'm so lucky to have been in the hunting community for as long as I am. And I'll, I'll be lucky to stay in it if everybody lets me stick around. And I really do see hunters as a community of people, not just the industry of people that I work with, but also people that just really love this thing. And, you know, as you said earlier, if we can all put the, our best into it and try our best even if we screw up sometimes, it'll make things better for the next generation. And, and that's all, all that we can ask for. Um, so I appreciate you, man. I'm, I'm glad that you're in our space and however you got here, um, don't go anywhere. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Have a great uh, rest of the week. Enjoy the weekend. Say hi to the meat eater clan. I don't know if you guys ever got the cupcakes that I paid for. Um, <laughs> But I got a local bakery before <laughs> Christmas to buy. I bought a hundred cupcakes. He did, he and did. Uh, they couldn't. Deli- yeah. I did, and they couldn't deliver them. I think it's Kylie is in your office or whatever. Anyway, oh yeah, I pre- yeah. I prepaid a bunch. There's a lovely lady from uh, Florida who I believe is in Bozeman that has a, a bakery. Yep. Um, anyway, I prepaid for them. Make sure that at some point that they get in the office because I would hate to think that I bought a hundred <laughs> cupcakes to say thank you to guys and nobody ever ate them. So anyway, <laughs> so so would I. I mean, I've eaten a lot of cupcakes. Okay, so I'll make sure next time I question where they came from. <laughs> but thanks, Don, man. We, we appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Ben. Take care, my friend. All right, guys. See ya. All right. Well, holy shit, there's Stevie Wonder. Happy you, birthday. Man. <laughs> I Do can't. You- do I, you know what it took last night? Maddie's standing across from me. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. We need to get Ben O'Brien on. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Just biting the fingers. I, Maddie oh. gives me a subtle knuckle bump as we're walking out the door. <laughs> so I, I just... Oh, don't worry. I've got Swarovski lined up for another day. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so you know, I, I prepped all these freaking questions <laughs> and did all this research. But so just, just truthfully, um, you know, I've been here since 2015. And I'm very fortunate uh, to have met some great people. And Steve and I became friends very shortly after my arrival. You know, I got Steve Hamilton and, and Mark Newdorf, um, who I'm extremely close with. And Steve and I, we, we birthed this this podcast in a, in a vehicle hunting together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're brothers in arms with uh, uh, Spruce City. And then, you know, now the three of us, and we've had some wild conversations. We speculated about whether this one would ever come together, you know. And uh, so thanks to Matt and Steve, uh, this has been, you know, uh, it's been a really fun ride. We're having a lot of really cool things. Um, I sometimes forget you know, that we actually do uh, have some reach. Uh, we do facilitate some, some interesting discussion. It's a great creative outlet for me. Um, and it has made, uh, that was, I mean, I, I I'm pretty, ha- I, I think we stick handled that one. Oh, all you right. Know, you, consider- know, you know, the best <laughs> part was that. You got your reaction on video. I cannot. I just, I cannot believe you guys pulled this off anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that is like a giant, uh, my phone is going to be going just ballistic here right away. Um, and uh, I'm going to be calling everybody on the fucking planet. I said it. Yeah. Uh, we got Ben O'Brien in the bare bones studio and had a great conversation. So uh, anyway. On behalf of Maddie W., Stevie Wonder, and Don Willimont, you're listening to the Cut Banks Conversations. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.